I've got something that is very dear to my heart that I'm going to engage with over the next handful of podcast sessions that I'm going to do. Uh, about probably four years ago, I believe, uh, somewhere in that time frame, God, well, I guess maybe five to six years ago, he began pricking my heart to write a book. Um, and about four years ago, somewhere in that time frame, we completed that book. And it's a book called Beloved, Reclaiming Majesty in the Church. And it's something that, as I said, is very dear to me. And um, I had several requests at one time for an audio version of this book to be put out. I'm not a tech guy, so I don't know exactly what that looks like, how to even go about doing that. So what you are going to get over these next handful of sessions that I do is my wife and I are going to read the corresponding sections of this book that we wrote together. Um, I will The voices that you hear from me will be my chapters that I wrote, um, and the voices that you hear from her is going to be her section of the book that she wrote. The way that we felt led to do this is that I wrote kind of the meat and potatoes um, of the chapter. I dissect a lot. I bring a lot of scriptures into play. I teach about some very difficult things to grasp. Um, and she kind of comes on the back end of that and brings kind of the, the softer approach, the more feminine type approach to um, to the same truths that I bring up, but in her eyes and her perspective. And so gelling those two together, we really felt like could be a great blessing to a lot of people. So what we're going to do is we are going to read these, these or this book, these chapters, um, in sequence, chapter by chapter, broken up into different podcast sessions. So if you want to just listen to chapter one, you're going to click chapter one, part one, that'll be mine, and then part two will be hers. And so I wanted to kind of give you guys an introduction into what we are going to be doing. Um, and the first thing that I'm going to do is, coupled with this introduction, is going to be the introduction to the book that I'm going to read. It's about eight to ten pages, should take about 15 minutes or so. Um, I'm just going to read straight through. I'm, I'm going to do my best not to dialogue, not to expound upon, not to explain. Um, my encouragement is to listen. And I know you're thinking it's an audio podcast. Well, there's a reason Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a book written to the church. It is not an evangelistic book. It is not an altar call type style book for people to come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that transpires through this, then praise God. Um, this is a book that is intended to be written towards the church, for the church, so that the church can reclaim the majesty that she once had that seems to be almost impotent in the church today. And I believe there's reasons laid out in this book as to why. I would encourage you to, as I said, not just listen, but to look up the references that I give. If I don't read them and I just read the reference, the great thing about this is you can pause it and you can go look it up. And I would highly encourage you to do that because God, I believe, yes, he can speak through me. He can speak through men, but he speaks through his word. And when we allow that word to penetrate our heart, the Spirit does something in us. And so I would highly encourage you to take the time to study out this book and the references that I give to it. And so, I'm excited about this. Um, and again, you know, as the introduction to this book, part one will be me, part two will be Jen. And you'll hear it in the, the corresponding 
voice that we, you know, obviously you hear my voice, that's going to be the chapter I wrote. You hear Jen's voice, that's going to be the chapter she wrote. Um, and so with that, um, I'm going to get into this. A new revelation of majesty. Have you ever sat in church and thought there has to be more than what you've experienced? Have you ever read through the New Testament and wondered why you don't see the same glory manifested today that seemed to mark the early church? What if there really was more to church than what you ever thought or imagined? What if we, as the church, are missing the fullness of who we could be because we have become complacent in what we have always been? What if I were to tell you that there is more, so much more, to being part of God's church than you have probably ever known? This book is a glimpse into those possibilities. It's a peek into what we can achieve in Christ if we would just be willing to allow the Word of God to transform our hearts and minds into the image God has designed us to live in, rather than be conformed to the image of the world. It is a call for us as the church to reclaim the majesty we are created to portray into the world. We need to rediscover the beauty of what it means to be the beloved of God. Several years ago, I was preparing to teach a Sunday morning message on John 17. I got out all my usual resources, poured my cup of coffee, and sat down to study. But as I studied it out, it strangely seemed as though it was missing something or that there was something there waiting for me to find. I just couldn't tell what. I had read through this passage many times before, but this time it was as though there was a hidden mystery within it, just beyond my grasp. As I went to bed the night before I, I was to teach on this passage, I lay there thinking and praying over what analogy I could use or how I could really bring the word to life. But the more pressing issue on my mind was that feeling that I was missing something within the passage. I needed some sort of parallel that would captivate the hearts of those who would be listening, but I had nothing, despite the constant attention I was giving it. At this point, I had learned that there was no use fretting over an issue I was getting nowhere with, but to trust that the Lord would reveal what He wants, when He wants. So in typical fashion, God awoke me in the middle of the night, and it was as if He had deposited a thought in my head. Little did I know that thought would become entrenched deep in my heart in the years to come. In that moment, the word sequoia flashed in my mind like a streak of lightning across the midnight sky. I didn't know much about sequoia trees other than that they were huge, and I was actually quite curious why this random word intruded my sleep. Nonetheless, I faded back to sleep. As was my custom at the time, I woke at 5 a.m., but instead of engaging the word as usual, I began to study about this type of tree, feeling as though God was ready to reveal something. Now, it usually takes a lot to amaze me, but as the image... As the images ran across the screen and I read over the details of how God designed these trees, my mind couldn't compute what I was reading. It's hard to quantify majesty, but I'm going to do my best to attempt to paint a mental picture for you of just how grand these trees are. Let's start with a general Sherman. This tree is known as the world's largest living tree as measured by volume. It stands 275 feet tall and is over 36 feet in diameter at its base. Even at 180 feet high, it is still 14 feet wide, which is approximately the height of an average single-story home. The estimated weight of this tree is 1,385 tons, which equates to 2,770,000 pounds. Aside from that, its estimated age is between 2,300 and 2,700 years old. Trees like the General Sherman generate enough new growth each year to produce a 90-foot tree with a trunk 12 inches in diameter. In fact, if trees of this magnitude were cut into boards one foot wide, 
twelve feet long and one inch thick, the line of planks laid end to end would stretch over a hundred miles and could build 120 average-sized homes. Historically, though, the General Sherman is not even the largest recorded tree, as the Cranell Creek Giant near Trinidad, California, is estimated to have been 15 to 25% larger in volume. However, these two trees, while greater in volume, are dwarfed by the Hyperion, which is the tallest recorded living tree in the world, towering at an unrivaled 379 feet tall. That's roughly 75 feet taller than the Statue of Liberty, including its foundation. As you can imagine, sequoia trees are some of the largest living organisms in the world. So you might be wondering how these statistics relate to the body of Christ, or why I'm sharing them with you in this book. How, if at all, do these trees parallel to the John 17 passage I was preparing for? I myself was wondering if I was just being amazed by these statistics, chasing an endless bunny trail that would lead to nothing in the end. But the scent I was following on this trail would lead to one of the greatest parallels to the body of Christ I have ever known, at least up to this point. What God was about to unveil to my heart would become the foundation piece in our mission for Christ. The incredible size and girth of these trees just cannot be quantified with words. Simply put, they are majestic in the truest sense of the word. However, their majesty is not just their sheer size and beauty as seen by the human eye. It's what lies underneath the surface that is truly glorious. Without detailing each parallel to the body of Christ, I will just account all the various characteristics that truly make these trees so amazing, saving some of the comparisons for later in the book. Sequoias are drought-resistant, disease-resistant, insect-resistant, and fire-resistant. In fact, fire is a key element in the reproduction and growth of sequoias. These trees have a phenomenal ability to heal when injured, sometimes even having complete hollow portions in their trunk from fire damage. But the part that became the catalyst of inspiration and the reason I believe God planted the idea of the sequoia in my mind early that morning is primarily found in how these trees function and interact with one another. They have the largest number of cells interconnected in a single discrete hole, producing new cells each year by the millions. No other form of life even approaches the magnitude of how these interconnected cells function as one. Beyond that, these trees help each other. They do not compete with one another for resources. Instead, their root systems work together in order to share resources. You see, these trees have been designed by their creator to function as one cohesive unit for the betterment of the grove, not just the individual tree. And the body of Christ should be no different. More to come on this concept a little later. This was where my thoughts ventured back to John 17, as the puzzle in my mind began to become clear. In reading the words of Jesus, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, that they may become perfectly one. John 17, verses 22 through 23. Perfectly one? To be perfectly one, even as Jesus and the Father are perfectly one? These truths have never been unveiled to me before in all my reading and studying. I had never seen that the church is supposed to be unified to a level of oneness equal to that of Jesus and the Father. I'm really tempted to expound more on this topic right now, but I'll save it for the later chapter, for the last chapter of this book. I simply wanted to give you a small glimpse into the vision of this book before we proceed. So there I was, astounded at the connection the Lord had made in my mind and heart. 
As I began to reflect upon these newfound truths, there was an ache birthed in my heart to know more, to see more, to experience more. I began to see church no longer as somewhere I went, but rather something I was a part of in a grander scheme. I had no idea at the time the things God would open my eyes to see and my heart to feel. This longing has become a great burden that has nestled itself deep in my soul. I hope through reading this book it will create this burden in you as well. My desire is to share what God has revealed to me. Through His grace, I hope to accurately portray the beauty of His blueprint for His church and how we as Christians should function according to His word. The church needs to reclaim the majesty we once carried as we no longer inspire and strike awe-filled wonder in the eyes of the world. Sure, there are many churches which are doing some good things and are inspiring people to walk out aspects of who we are called to be in Christ. But I'm not talking about doing some good things. I'm talking about doing supernatural, amazing, and awesome things in the truest sense of the words. I'm talking about the world seeing the full measure of Christ in us, not just glimpses of His character. Ephesians 4.13 It's like the world is seeing the mountains of Colorado as the fullest form of majesty today when there lies a Mount Everest just waiting to be unveiled for all to see. We need to discover once again what it means to have a zeal for God's house. Hebrews 3.6 So that the beauty and power of Christ can be unleashed into the world through His church, His ambassadors, His hands and feet, even His own glory. 2 Corinthians 8.23 So if you find yourself in a similar place, wondering if there's more to church than you've ever known or experienced, come along on this journey of discovering how God designed for His body to be the primary source of displaying His glory to the world. I'll be very honest. This book is not meant to entertain you or make you laugh. It has not been written to sugarcoat the truth in a way that allows for lukewarmness and complacency to survive in those who read. It will be simple and direct. And it is designed to be an in-depth look at God's word on what he says about his church. It is an exhortation that is meant to be convicting, yet encouraging, to those who genuinely desire to sacrificially honor God with their lives. It is written to bring hope to the hungry soul and order to the chaos. So if you're looking for a book filled with stories and jokes, you will probably not like my style of writing. However, if you are truly looking for a book that will challenge, convict, and propel you unto love and good works giving you a better understanding of the beauty of God's beloved, then you will have found a book that will, by the grace of God, satisfy that desire. As you read, I highly encourage you to keep your Bible close by and take the time to look up references given in order to gain a full understanding of what is being stated. This is a book that is more so to be studied, not just read. Our conclusions of what the church should be in view of eternity is based off of the word. So it is vital for you to look up the references when they are given in order to see clearly the truth presented in this book. Unfortunately, we have degenerated into a society which likes things free, instant, and easy. And it is slowly killing us. But it is not the marking of those who abide in the power of Christ. 1 Timothy 4, 7-10. 2 Timothy 2, 15. When my wife, Jen, and I first had the call of writing deposited in our hearts, we avoided it for a long time. We both felt very inadequate, inferior, and undeserving of having any sort of platform to write for our king. But when an ache is birthed within by the Spirit, it does not so easily go away. So we have decided to press forward. Trusting the Lord will accomplish what He wants through this book, despite our perceived inability. We are so honored to be used by Him for the purpose of writing about something He has such affection towards. We felt led to structure the book by me writing the bulk of each chapter, including an in-depth dissection of Scripture. 
Then, for Jen to write a brief follow-up to each chapter to share her thoughts on the same truths I presented from a different angle and perspective. In short, I will bring the hammer and she the cup of cool water. Know that as you read this book, we in our church have prayed for you. May the Lord enlighten the eyes of your heart and, and cause you to abound in the immeasurable riches of His grace for those who believe. Ephesians 1, 15-19